Yahoo, Katie Dayo, and I'm definitely a geek. This weekend, I got to be a guest on Allison Sheridan's Chit Chat Across the Pond. Now, many of you may not know Allison, but you really should. She hosts the Nosillicast, one of the longest-running podcasts with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. In fact, she's been doing it so long that it used to just be a Macintosh bias. And you know, I freely admit that the format for this show was, in the spirit of Steve Jobs waltzing in a Xerox, shamelessly stolen from Allison. Anyway, even though I had to get up at 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday, it was totally worth it. We chatted for about two hours, only one of which we actually recorded, but it was so much fun we just couldn't stop ourselves. You know, some of the topics that we covered included IR blasters and Internet of Things technologies, as well as Japanese web design, the dominance of the iPhone in Japan, and the continued popularity of DVDs, CDs, and physical media in Japan, plus a whole lot more. Actually, on that subject, this past weekend, Amazon Japan ran a promotion called Amazon Video Night. Video Night! It was a one-day promotion that offered one-day movie rentals from Amazon Video for only 100 yen. The idea being that you pick one or two of them and you have an Amazon Video Night. That sounds familiar. Blockbuster Video. Wow. Anyway, some of the titles included The Avengers, Doctor Strange, Baywatch, and Rogue One, as well as a few Japanese titles, including a recent Kamen Rider film. And while the promotion is over now, the website does mention to look forward to the next one, so if you're interested, maybe keep an eye on Amazon Japan. And while physical media rentals are still very popular at chains like Staya and Gale, slowly but surely, online streaming and online rentals, too, are becoming more popular in Japan. You know, that tends to be how it works here, I suppose. For good or bad, Japan tends to hold on to the past a lot longer than other countries. Anyway, definitely check out episode 512 of Chit Chat Across the Pond over at her site, podfeet.com. I hear everything good starts with podfeet, at least that's what she always says. And while you're there, check out our other show, The Nocellacast. Trust me, you will have a new favorite podcast on Sunday nights and or Monday mornings, depending on where you live. I guess it wouldn't be and or, it would be or, but nonetheless, unless you're traveling in a plane, maybe. Anyway, one thing we didn't talk about is my 434-part series on MVNOs and mobile internet, which apparently, by the way, she she took me literally on that. It was actually a Colbert Report reference. You know, my series, much like his, won't be anywhere near that long. Probably. Anyway, Allison did remind me of one option for some tourists visiting to Japan that I hadn't considered before. Google's Project Fi. Now, Project Fi offers you data at a pay-per-use rate of $10 US for one gigabyte, as well as 20 cents a minute phone calls and free SMS messaging. And it works in a variety of countries around the world. You can use one SIM card and move between countries. Unfortunately, there's a lot of restrictions, including the fact that you have to be located in the United States, you have to own a specific supported Android phone, and a few other things. But if you're interested, definitely check out Allison's fantastic write-up on the topic. And it also talks about how to use it with an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. Addison, arigatone! And now, let's get to some news. Speaking of Google, apparently they listen to my podcast too, as they appear to have added and subsequently pulled a feature from their iOS app that I dreamed about a mere two episodes ago, support for voice search in multiple languages. According to multiple sites, including MacRumors and iClarified, the Google search apps update to version 40 enabled, quote, multilingual voice search. You can now search by voice in multiple languages. In settings, tap voice search and then language to add additional languages. When you tap the mic or use, okay, 
Google to start a voice search, ask your question in any selected language, and Google will automatically respond in the correct language. This is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> However, it appears that the release notes for that version now simply states bug fixes and performance improvements. Thanks. Yeah. Perhaps the feature wasn't ready yet? Still, the fact that there are hints at all of a possible release for my number one feature requests of voice assistance leaves me wondering if Google will have a nice Christmas present for me this year. Google also announced that their VR headset, Daydream View, will be available in Japan this month. This adds to the growing Japanese product lineup they have available, which currently consists of the Google Home and Home Mini, as well as the Chromecast, Chromecast Ultra, and Chromecast Audio. Interestingly enough, though, there's still no word on when or even if the Pixel 2 and 2XL will be released in Japan. But if you have a Daydream-compatible Android handset and are interested in trying it out, you can purchase the Daydream View for 12,000 yen via Google's online shop starting on December 13th. With the release of version 7.17.0, messaging app Line has finally, here it is, updated their app to support the iPhone 10 screen. Oh, I'm so excited. A month after the iPhone 10 was released, and I gotta say, it took a while, but Man, it looks great. Line was the last app I use regularly that hadn't been updated. So I'm really happy I don't have to deal with those annoying black bars at the top and the bottom very often anymore. Also added in this version, support for sticking MLG onto photos and sending them off, as well as adding a simple way to take animated GIFs using the in-app camera. The update is available now in the App Store. This past week, Mobile carrier AU ran a special Garake phone recovery event in Nagoya and Sendai. Now, Garake is Japanese for the classic style flip phones. And since many of these phones haven't been used in a long time, some of them in a decade or more, the batteries have become unusable. And in some cases, the phones can't even be turned on. Not to mention that the contents of the memory was, in most cases, never backed up. But AU to the rescue! They had special stations designed for AU staff to attempt to revive the phones and the phone batteries. Now, while not all the phone revivals were successful due to age or damage or passcode locks, yeah, they had passcode locks back then, many people walked away with precious memories and copies of photographs once thought lost to time. One mother and her daughter came to the event, and she brought a phone which she used about 10 years ago. And the mother was able to get back a photo of her daughter as an infant, as well as one of her daughter walking hand in hand with her father as an infant. One reporter described the event and the phones as a treasure trove of memories, and AU is planning to hold a third revival event soon, so if you have an old AU Garake lying around, keep an eye out for that. Last week, discount shopping center Mr. Max began taking pre-orders for a 49-inch 4K TV, and the price is, quite simply, Incredible. It's 52,704 yen. That's 500 hunyakers for a 4K TV. And I know all of you out there who have bought really cheap TVs over Black Friday. I know that sounds kind of expensive, but if you listened to the show last week, you know that TVs, and especially 4K ones, tend to run double or even triple the price in Japan. Now, the price here is comparable to the 4K TV that Don Quixote sold over the summer for 59,184 yen. Alas, much like that TV, Mr. Max's is also a limited promotion. Only 1,500 units were available for pre-order, which have almost certainly sold out by now. Still, if you are in the Kanto, Chugoku, or Kyushu regions of Japan, which is where Mr. Max has locations, keep an eye out. They might have another sale someday. And for the record, there's no Mr. Max around here. After all, the area of Japan which Osaka is located in is called Kinki. I'll let you write your own jokes. 
Goppa has announced the Japanese release of a series of USB Type-C power delivery chargers that contain official USB certification. Their Energear series of chargers will be released by the end of December and will come in two colors, white and black, and in two types, a 46-watt version for 7,538 yen and a 65-watt version for 8,618 yen. They also announced a car charger with a USB-C port and one with USB-C and USB-A, For some reason, though, they have the same price, both of them at $42.98. Honestly, though, while I'm happy to see officially certified USB-C accessories starting to appear in Japan, at these prices, I would really have to recommend purchasing Apple's official 61-watt charger. It's got a nicer design, and frankly, it's, you know, it's cheaper at 7,992 yen. By the way, a follow-up on that Anchor charger, the 29-watt one that I reviewed a few weeks ago, over the past week, it has gone in and out of stock multiple times on Amazon Japan. It's still only 2,299 yen, and it definitely remains my top pick for anyone looking for a USB-C charger for their iPhone, iPad, or MacBook Adorable. That's the 12-inch Retina model. So if you're interested in buying one, keep an eye on Amazon. It's still in stock as of this recording. And speaking of Amazon, they have announced that there will be Amazon holiday pop-up stores at Shibuya Mori and Shibuya Marui in conjunction with the Cyber Monday weekend coming up this week. Visitors will be able to have a hands-on demo of some of the big sale items available during Cyber Monday, as well as get a chance to touch and try the newly released Amazon Echo devices. There will also be exclusive perks for Amazon Prime members and a few other surprises too. So if you're in Tokyo, check them out from December 8th through December 11th. But wait! There's more! A special offer! I feel like Mike the TV all of a sudden. Or at least, hope on the horizon for some Mario fans. Over the past week, Amazon Japan has had both Nintendo Switch systems as well as Super Famicom Mini systems available for purchase at retail price. Currently, the only model still available of the Super Famicom Mini is the one that I got my hands on. It's a bundle that includes the AC adapter as well as an Amazon Japan exclusive set of 18 postcards of the different covers and things from the games and that retails for 9,689 yen and I actually nabbed mine for slightly less than that at 9,502 yen not sure why and for some reason Amazon decided to stick the Super Famicom mini box in a small box and then ship that box in a larger box you know it was kind of like getting a really wasteful matroshka at the convenience store even though Nintendo isn't even on the Russian end of Japan Anyway, if you're looking for one of Nintendo's hot systems for the holidays, and especially with Cyber Monday weekend coming up, keep an eye on Amazon Japan. By the way, I decided to get the Super Famicom Mini by selling the Retro Freak that I purchased a few months ago. And the Retro Freak is a pretty awesome device for what it is. It lets you play your original games from classic systems like the Famicom, Super Famicom, Mega Drive, and more through HDMI. It'll also support Nintendo games with an adapter, and it'll support Super Nintendo games right out of the box. It has slots for your cassettes, and yes, they're cassettes in Japan, not cartridges. And the system will read the games into memory and can even save them to a micro. SD card so you can take them with you on the go. The device, it has a small removable box in the back that's the brains of the operation. And if you carry that, plus a power and HDMI cable as well as a controller, you can have tons of games with you anywhere you have a monitor or a thing with an HDMI plug. That said, 
While the software works well and supports a variety of classic systems, and it's got some cool features like save stating and custom output modes, the interface is clunky compared to Nintendo's slickly produced Super Famicom Mini. Plus, the Retro Freak occasionally has trouble reading the games, you know, given some of the ages of the cassettes that I have, and I have a collection of well over a hundred on multiple consoles. You know, and I also own the original systems that match those cassettes. Plus, most, if not all the classic games that I want to play are on the Super Famicom Mini. Honestly, I'd much rather have Nintendo's offering than keep messing around with the Retro Freak. Plus the cost. At 21,600 yen, that's almost three times the cost of the Mini. And at that point, you're approaching PS4 and even Switch territory. And that doesn't even include the cost of getting the games, even though, you know, they're used games, they're retro, Super Famicom, whatever. Lately, there's been this boom in retro, you know, revival in retro gaming. So a lot of the prices have shot up. But still, if you have a lot of retro games on many different systems, I can definitely recommend the Retro Freak. And it is available outside of Japan. Check on eBay and Amazon. You'll find it in a few places. The foreign minister of Japan, Taro Kono, has appointed two very special ambassadors to promote the city of Osaka as a host for the World Expo in 2025. Yes, of course, I'm talking about... Pikachu, and Hello Kitty. Now, to be fair, it seems like a logical choice. Kono-san himself tweeted in Japanese, commenting on the popularity of the characters worldwide. And the 2020 Olympics did this too, if you remember. It had Mario and a few other characters. Push comes to shove, I guess. Japan tends to use their homegrown characters when marketing internationally. And for good reason, I suppose. Cool Japan, you know? Cool Japan. Kono-san also noted that the English tweet about this that he posted had gotten far more retweets and favorites than the Japanese. Japanese tweet. And while one could argue that this is due to more people being able to read it, nevertheless, we'll find out if Osaka wins the bid for the World Expo next year in November. And finally, for all you train geeks out there, a piece of the past will be visible for the first time in almost 90 years. Now, among the dozens of train companies and subway lines you'll find in Tokyo, there is the Ginza Line. Beginning operations in 1927, it is the oldest subway line in Tokyo. However, not all connections had been built when it first became operational. And thus, between January 1930 and November 1931, a temporary station known as Manseibashi Station was used. And while there are only officially 19 stations on the Ginza line, this 20th Phantom Station is still there. You just can't see it from inside the trains as you pass by, because normally it's too dark. But starting on December 1st, lights have been installed so passengers can take a peek into the past. I've actually seen the outside of Manseibashi. After all, it's very close to Akihabara, the geekiest district in all of Tokyo. There are cafes and shopping areas and some of the leftover station building. And that said, if you want to catch a glimpse of what used to be and still is, as well as the decommissioned platform at Jingumaya Station, you better act fast because these spotlights are going to be removed on January 18th, 2018. So I finally got my D-card prepaid card in the mail this week, and I have to say... I'm quite disappointed. I went to go and charge it, and I quickly realized that the old adage is true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. See, the way Docomo makes money off of you is by charging a 200 yen fee every time you load money onto the card. Now, of course, if you are a Docomo subscriber, you can add money to the card using your monthly bill. They'll simply tack it onto your bill, and there's no fee. But pretty much every other method, credit card, convenience store charge, etc., they all require that 200 yen fee. Now, I can see a few good use cases for this. If you're traveling abroad and you wanted to have a prepaid 
contactless card that works outside of Japan, this might be a way to go. Unlike the next card I'm going to discuss, the D-Card prepaid does work contactless outside of Japan via MasterCard. And you could also charge this with money from a credit card and use it that way, which might be a good option if your credit card doesn't yet support Apple Pay, or if you wanted to make sure that you can limit your credit spending every month. But on the whole, in my opinion, there are much better options available for prepaid cards in Japan. My pick is from, you guessed it, messaging app Line. Yes, Line, the green messaging monster of Fenway Park. Wait, that's, surely that's not right. Go socks. Anyway, Line has a feature called Line Pay, which lets you send and receive money right from the app. And they also offer physical prepaid JCB cards that you can charge with your Japanese bank account and also at some ATMs and convenience stores. Now, I only ever use the bank account method because you can do it straight from the app with no hassles. And it works great. There's no fees. And plus, you get back Line points every time you use it. And those can be used to purchase stamps for use within in-line itself, or you can even cash them back out into your line pay balance in an endless cycle of charging and points and charging and points. While you can't yet add your line pay prepaid JCB card to Apple Pay directly, you can use your JCB card to charge a Suica card. Now, it's a teeny bit of a two-step hassle. First, you have to charge the line pay card from within the line app for the amount you wish. And you have to be careful about this because the Suica app only lets you charge in, in, in even increments. So you can charge 500 yen, 1,000 yen, 2,000 yen. Once you charge that, then go over to the Suica app, you register it, and select your JCB prepaid card. The balance will then be moved from your JCB to your Suica card, and you can use Apple Pay to your heart's content. Ride the trains, use it at convenience stores, at vending machines, almost anywhere in Japan that Apple Pay is supported. And so if you live in Japan and you want to sign up for a Line Cash slash Line Pay account, it used to be called Line Cash, and I think part of it still is, but let's just call it Line Pay for simplicity's sake. And you can also get the prepaid card if, as long as you visit the Line Pay section under the More tab in the Line app. And amazingly enough, I use my iPhone in Japanese, but I switched it to English just to check, Line has localized all the information you need in English. The menus, everything. So you can read more about it there too. And I definitely recommend this as my top pick for someone wanting to use Suica and Apple Pay in Japan who maybe doesn't have a Japanese credit card or who wants to charge the Suica on the go without having to go to the convenience store or somewhere and charge it that way. One thing I wanted to touch on in my ongoing 434 part or not series on internet and mobile service in Japan is home internet service. And actually, this is very timely because of an announcement this week from NTT. So let's get a little bit of history about NTT before we get into things. NTT is short for Nippon Telegraph and Telephone. They, I guess they switched it because, you know, AT&T is American Telephone and Telegraph. So NTT is a partly government-owned private telecommunications company, and they provide the backbone for Japanese internet services. Now, it was originally a government-owned monopolistic corporation, and because it owns much of the last mile, the last mile being the term that we use for the portion of telecommunication lines, like copper, fiber, etc., the ones that actually connect your residence, your house or apartment or your apartment building to the network or service. And because they own all of that, it effectively gave them an oligopoly. But much like they broke up Ma Bell AT&T in the United States, in the 1980s and 1990s, NTT was privatized as well as divided into multiple parts, including NTT, which serves as a holding company, as well as NTT Communications, which runs NTT Docomo, the mobile carrier service, as well as NTT East and NTT West. 
Now, talking about this, NTT East covers eastern Japan. That includes Tokyo and the Kanto area. While NTT West covers western Japan, including Osaka, Kyoto, Nagoya, and a few other places. And this is speculation on my part. But this NTT East, NTT West divide may be partly due to the fact that electricity in eastern Japan runs on 50 hertz, while western Japan runs on 60 hertz. Some of you out there are going, what? This is crazy. I know it, but it, listen to the story. It's, it's fascinating. See, around the turn of the century, in the 20th century, Osaka and Tokyo purchased different generators from different companies. One of them was 50 hertz and one of them was 60 hertz. I know, it's ridiculous. This led to a divide due to incompatible power grids. Now, of course, these days, they have worked around these incompatibilities and nearly any electronic device or appliance that you purchase in Japan today will work with both 50 hertz and 60 hertz. So generally speaking, this isn't a problem anymore. Although I remember like 10 years ago, you used to see it advertised as a feature, you know, supports 50 hertz and 60 hertz. But basically now they just manufacture everything for 50 hertz, 60 hertz. I digress. In addition to breaking the company into smaller parts, there's an NTT law, which while it doesn't cover NTT communications, which does Docomo, it does force East and West to provide short distance communications, as well as maintain telephone service across Across the country. Unused optical fiber must also be leased to other carriers. Now, this is a very important point to remember when we start talking about home internet service. But before we can get to the home internet that you can actually get, let's talk about what they announced this week, the service that Japan will be saying goodbye to soon. Both NTT East and NTT West announced this week that they will be ending their FLETS ADSL service on January 31st, 2023. Now, ADSL, of course, has been around for a long time. It provides higher speeds than traditional phone line modems did. But with wireless and cable and fiber internet taking over, the time of ADSL is rapidly reaching its end for many customers. And the writing was on the wall for a while as new subscriptions to the service stopped being accepted last year on July 1st, 2016. But current customers are able to continue using the service until the cutoff date. Still, I'm sure NTT would love to move everyone over to fiber as soon as possible. And it shows because they are offering subscribers to their ADSL service, as well as any subscribers to any ADSL service, the opportunity to move to Flets Hikari. Flets Hikari is NTT's fiber-based internet service, and they're going to waive any installation charges until May 31st, 2018. So if there's anyone out there listening who's on ADSL, I doubt there is. If there is, please message me. Uh, but you have until May of next year to sign up for Flets Hikari, or you'll have to pay installation charges. Also on the horizon is the end of Flets ISDN service. I know some of you are like shaking right now. It's like, what? ISDN service. Actually, it's funny. There's still phone booths in Japan. We'll talk about that someday, but they still say, you know, NTT ISDN on it. So presumably you could plug in your laptop via phone line and a whole thing. Anyway, both East and West are going to stop accepting new applications for ISDN service on November 30th, 2018. So look, if you just got to have your ISDN service. You got a year to sign up, so get to it. Still, ISDN service will continue to be supported for the time being in places where fiber-based Flets Hikari has yet to be rolled out. So basically, they're, they're slowly trying to shift everyone away from copper lines, away from these older technologies like ADSL and, and ISDN and towards the newer fiber-based systems, which I think is great. If we can move everyone over to fiber in a reasonable amount of time, that's fantastic. But of course, even as small as Japan is, there's a lot of places and you have to build out. It takes a while. So hopefully everyone will continue to be covered. But it's nice to know that NTT is sort of slowly starting to move things towards the future. 
And speaking of Fletzi Cuddy, that leads perfectly into this week's main topic. For the majority of home internet customers in Japan, you're going to have two basic options, a cable-based internet service with a cable company like Jcom, or a Fletz Hikari-based service through one of dozens of providers. Now, these providers lease service on NTT's lines. Some people also use their pocket Wi-Fi or WiMAX router as a home router, but that's for a future episode. So let's start with Jcom. So when I first moved into my place in Osaka City, I tried to sign up for Fletzikari, but they told me that my building wasn't wired for it. And of course, magically, a few months later, I got a notice telling me that they had wired the building. I guess they were just waiting on someone to try to sign up for it. Anyway, I had already gone with the option that I had at the time, which was the only option, Jcom. And I was locked into a one-year contract at least, so I, I figured I'd just wait it out. Now, putting cable TV aside, that's a conversation for another day. And we'll talk about your options if, you, if people are interested in that. But Jcom is one of a few providers of cable TV and internet in Japan. Now, who you go with specifically is going to depend on where you live. But for the most part, cable internet is available in most places around Japan. Now, for the purposes of demonstration, let's talk about my experience with Jcom service in Osaka City. Now, Jcom has a few plans. They range from one megabits a second. Yes, one megabits a second? One megabit a second? In case you don't mind having to wait. And it goes all the way up to 320 megabits per second. Now, that's actually not that fast compared to Hikari. But like many cable providers in other countries, they have an introductory rate that's valid for a limited time before then they raise the price to a higher fixed rate. And for example, for the 320 megabits per second plan with 32 cable channels included, they have a special rate for new subscribers six months at 3,600 yen. And that rises to 5,505 yen after six months. Plus, you have to sign a contract and a few other things. But you can get promotional deals with coupons or gift cards sometimes if you go through websites or major electronic stores. I went to Yodobashi Camera when I did it, and I got like 20 or 30,000 yen back in credit at Yodobashi. So if you're going to sign up for it anyway, you might as well try to find a place that has some cashback deals or something. But you got to be careful because sometimes they'll give you money back, but then they lock you into a contract at a slightly higher rate. So just be aware of that. And I'm not going to go much further down the cable internet route. You know, it's hard for me to do this because there's just so many variables depending on where you live and your apartment complex or your residence or whatever. You know, some of them are wired for fiber. Some of them are only wired for cable. Some of them are wired for both. It really just depends. So you're going to have to check your specifics. And even if you wanted to get cable TV for some reason, honestly, there are other services I'd recommend. So hang on for a future episode to hear more about that. And one last note, some apartment buildings offer and advertise even free cable cable and internet service that's included with your monthly rent. So you might want to check with your specific building if you want to know more about special deals or plans that they have. And if you're looking for a new place, you might consider trying to ask your realtor to find a place that offers this kind of thing. Although, not to get too far off topic, but it's hard enough for some foreigners to find places here anyway, so I know some of them can't be picky, but that's another story. So let's move on to the main attraction, Fletz Hikari. Hikari means light in Japanese, and that's certainly appropriate. Hikari service is what NTT brands its fiber-to-the-home service as. Now, the great thing about Hikari is that there are literally dozens and dozens of plans from different providers. Now, these providers are more or less standardized on their plans. Generally, the way it works is that these companies lease the lines from NTT, so part of the money that you spend towards them goes back to NTT, and some goes to the provider. So honestly, there's not too much differences between the providers. These days, the standard plan tends to be one gigabit per second. Yes, one gigabit. I said it so casually. One gigabit. One gigabit internet. I know some of you out there who are on like Comcast or, or, or people like that, you're just screaming right now. Oh my God. And prices generally range from between... 
30 to 60 hunyaku. Mm, 3,000 to 6, I should say it proudly, you know, 3,000 to 6,000 yen. 3,000 yen it's like on promotional prices sometimes for, for gigabit internet. This is why we need regulation. Anyway, uh, there are literally dozens of providers, so I can't possibly cover them all. But if you can read Japanese, I would recommend kakaku.com. K-A-K-A-K-U dot com. They let you compare plans from a variety of providers. And I actually have used them before to sign up because they offer cash back plans on some things. I was able, when I had a roommate, uh, we, we signed up through kakaku.com and we got a TV for free, basically. Uh, it was a really nice, sharp TV. I still have it. I never use it, but I still have it. Uh, you know, cause she moved to England. But, uh, but yeah, uh, if you're interested, that's definitely a way you can get some, some cash back on something you're already going to be signed up for. But just be aware that, you know, sometimes they'll try to get you in at a higher rate. So just chop around a little bit. Uh, and you can also visit electronic stores locally or a camera store, a big camera, Yodobashi. I'm, I'm a Yodobashi fan. so. But they have you know staff who may be able to speak English. So that's one way to go about it. Now, one provider I know for sure that provides English support is AsahiNet. They offer plans and support all in English. So check them out at asahi-net.jp if you're interested. But we are geeks, right? Right. Most of us. And we want the best. So I want to talk about my personal choice for internet provider, and that is Futu Internet. Futu, F-U-C-H-U. Like Pikachu, only Futu. Anyway, no, Kankenai. No, there's no relation there. They do cost a bit more than some other providers, but while you get the same standard one gigabit, did I say it again? Gigabit internet speed as others. Futu doesn't cap, limit, or throttle your bandwidth in any way. They're reasonably priced, especially if you prepay for the year like I do. So one year of service is 19,440 yen per year, and that works out to 1620 per month. But I know it sounds great, but you also have a monthly bill that you have to pay directly to NTT for use of the fiber line. And that comes out, in my case, to 3,855 yen. There's also some fees in the beginning for the installation and all that. But on the whole, it brings the total monthly cost, for me at least, to 5,475 yen. And that's more expensive than some of the other providers. Generally speaking, I see things around the four to 5,000 yen range. So it's maybe 1,000, 1,500 yen more than usual. But if you're like me and you want the fastest, least restrictive service you can get, you just want to get it all and you don't want to have to worry about bandwidth caps or anything like that, Huchu is the way to go. And you know, even if Futu is more expensive than some others, the fact remains we are very, very lucky here in Japan. Because of regulation, we have competition. So there's options. And any way you go, I'd recommend Hikari service over anything else. You know, they've really been building out the network lately. And being able to get gigabit internet for even 60 hunyakers is unheard of in many parts of many countries. America. America. Sorry, that, there's that cough again. It's incredible what a little regulation can get you. By the way, if anyone has any stories they want to share of home internet service in Japan, any recommendations, I would love to hear from them. So send them along. Honestly, though, in my experience, a lot of my non-geek friends seem to not even have wired home internet at all these days. I think a lot of people just use their phones or even more commonly their pocket Wi-Fis or, yes, finally, we're going to talk about it. The myth, the legend. Why Max, 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 Max? Okay, seriously. Here, so here's your tease for, for next time. I have WiMAX and I use over 100 gigabytes of, a month of mobile WiMAX data and it's still super reasonably priced. So definitely stay tuned. 
For now, if you can, please subscribe in Overcast or Pocket Cast or whatever podcast app you choose. It sure means a whole lot to me. This show is also available in Apple Podcasts. And if you could rate or review the show, that would really help me out. It would help out with discovery and getting the word out there. And you can find the show notes for this episode at platypuspodcasts.com slash geek slash seven, which is also where you're going to find links to all of my social media. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, topics, or you just want to chat, I would love to hear from you. Please tweet them at me on Twitter at Kaylee Dayo, K-A-Y-L-E-E-D-A-Y-O with the hashtag Geek Dayo so I can find them. Until next week, Ija, Kaylee deshita. Bye-bye. Seno. Shuryo. Zetai Geek Dayo is a Platypus Podcast production.